at war, we talk with Coach James O'Farron about coaching, community, and, checking my notes here, Christian transhumanism? What is that? This is Poets at War, you are now entering the war zone! moving right like you've been you've been dealing with getting things in order still right yeah moving uh from washington state 1500 miles away to fargo north dakota uh across several mountain ranges new climate new people new culture uh though i find i fit in better with this culture in the midwest than i did back on the west coast I have a a strong hippie side of me, but there's something about that Midwest uh, stable level of respect and charm and kindness that's uh, a a given that is just so beautiful to be around on a regular basis. I love that. That's something Um, I find in both Southern culture and in Midwestern culture. And I find that people who are grounded in their uh, philosophy, um, but a little bit weird tend to find <laughs> better friends amongst the conservative that just need a little push than yes uh, yes among, <laughs> among the liberals who we don't know what's going to happen to us <laughs> right you know <laughs> absolutely but continue with what you were saying yeah so that, that that's one big shift uh and then of course at the same time also beginning my new company uh, moving from web development into coaching web developers. So it's kind of expanded beyond that. The more I researched into it, the more I knew that I enjoyed coaching people and help watching kind of creatively craft themselves, helping them to reify their vision of themselves. That's what coaching is all about is assisting in implementation. And so helping with that has always been something I've enjoyed gravitated towards but finding the bigger scope and i've been finding the needs that are not so unique to web developers i mean yeah nerds need help with communication (laughs) so that's a big part of it but it's also being able to connect people together with some of the grander struggles that we're facing and one of the biggest struggles that we're facing culturally right now is how do you synergize humanity with technology because on a on a fundamental philosophical level i believe that technology is an extension of humanness that's what it is that's what it should be at the very that's what it should be yes (laughs) it shouldn't be at odds with it but it has become at odds with it and there's so much of how technology has been implemented that has become effectively demonized not in the sense of making it look bad making it actually demonic and evil by having it turn against humanhood and diffracting thought diffracting the will diffracting community and culture right right. and becoming an engine for destruction rather than an engine for creation and unity and um, productivity for the glory of god and so part of my 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 grand conquest in a sense has (laughs) developed into this vision for understanding what makes community work and then how that can be implemented in a technological environment. So how can you have authentic connection over Zoom? How can you do that effectively and reliably and going into the nitty gritty of that? So that's been something I'm passionate about and exploring and researching. Uh, and my third big transition recently moving um, from Protestantism into Eastern Orthodoxy <laughs> has also been a huge part of that because yeah, exactly. I'm reaching back and studying the writings of ancient desert ascetic fathers and thinking this is applicable to how to have good etiquette on Zoom. This is crazy. <laughs> These yeah. Timeless truths and this pursuit of the good, the true and the beautiful at a very deep theological level that and that appreciation for and not just appreciation for but the centrality 
of that to theology and Christology and the incarnation and how that impacts all of life yeah. uh, is tremendously powerful in the Orthodox tradition. And so diving into that, exploring it and its nuances, it's like opening this is, I mean, I, I thought that I had a pretty good grasp of how, you know, culture and creativity worked with theology. And I haven't even scratched the surface right. yet. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, let, me, let me pause you right there. And we can, we can kind of do a choose your own adventure thing on this. Sounds One, good. I definitely want at some point a little bit more about you and your background and just who you are, like, uh -huh. you know, that sort of a right. thing. Cause this is about you. This is you're we're highlighting you. A second thing I want to get into uh, I think, you know, I'm reformed Presbyterian. Yes. So, so we actually do have a fair amount in common. We have a few of things that are slightly different, but not mm -hmm. a lot, you know, um, especially you coming from a Protestant background. I find Orthodox yeah. people who understand pro Protestant language <laughs> have a much better idea of what we're even it's easier to communicate about. with right exactly <laughs> the, 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 than the other way you know and so that's mm -hmm. another thing i want i want to get into and then i had one other thing uh that i'd love to get into we can get into all of these but you can kind of pick your path um i sometimes you like to meld them together i've seen I, that before. that's part I of my creativity yeah. is creating connections so. exactly exactly <laughs> weave them and, together and then the last thing i really want to touch on uh, out of the out of these three things is um you know, there's a lot of scammers and schemers in your field. There are a lot of yes, people are. who who, who uh, are selling a false hope. And yeah. how is um, Christianity, even if you're not directly proselytizing the philosophy of Christianity, how is that so much more hopeful than any other form mm. of religion in this world? But you yeah. go ahead and go with uh, yeah. any of those three. That's a fantastic question, that, that last one, actually. Um, and that weaves into the other ones. So something that is a significant issue when you're trying to move into the coaching industry is that it's glutted. <laughs> There's everybody and their third cousin and their pet dog is trying to get into coaching. Oh, yeah. And because in a sense, because of its inherent nature, it's easy to do that because it doesn't require the same kinds of training or certification like a therapist would. However, <laughs> there are a lot of people, and unfortunately, the majority of people who, even though they're in don't really understand what coaching actually is. Right. And they go awry because of that. So I'll, I'll explain in brief. I could do a whole seminar <laughs> on this particular subject, <laughs> right? But I'll, I'll tie it in with the concept with, with creativity and the culture and specific. I'll, I'll even tie it in with some of the, the religious aspects of it because that's actually kind of core to some things that I've observed in this because there's a lot, because there's, there's a lot of people come from a very spiritual perspective, which makes sense. Um, but a lot of them come from from two specific main branches of spiritualism. We would call it in a spirituality sense. So one is the woo-woo Eastern uh, New Age type direction, mm -hmm. right? And then there's the people coming out from a very prosperity gospel, name it and claim it type Christian persuasion, right? Or in some cases, I would I would even. I, I've I seen know people, people who, are, the two. who are in there who who would who would are, who who are good earnest faithful believers, but who I, I believe are led astray in this concept. Um, sure. But a lot of them are false Christians. I would right. say right. they're 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 using it for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways. Yeah. Um, it's their Christianity is closer to magic than sacrament. Yes. And there's a very specific technical <laughs> distinction between those. <laughs> Being Reformed Presbyterian, you don't have to explain that to me much. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it, those two branches of spirituality are incredibly common in the industry. And a lot of my friends who actually are even good coaches still tend to walk along those lines. And there's a few that are, you know, honest and wholehearted and and um, committed uh, to integrity in what they're offering. But I think that 
it's just so much in the water that it's hard to distinguish the nuances. So if I'm going to distinguish what coaching is in contrast to other forms of facilitated growth, I would say, right, a partnership of facilitated growth. At one end of the spectrum, you have teaching and training, where you're teaching somebody how to know something or training somebody how to do something. Right. Right. And this very additive, you're putting, pick, open the head, stiff stuff in, right. <laughs> you know, and you will, help, help, put, put some glue in there to help it stick. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And that's incredibly important. You need that. that, that that's a, my, my wife, my wife was a middle school teacher and it's a beautiful profession that is incredibly needed and important, uh, but it's only one component of the whole picture of what's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a more personalized approach to that is mentorship, where you are helping someone in a personalized path by sharing your personal stories of experience in growth to help them tailor their learning career. That's what mentorship would be, right? Right. Uh, then the next step, that's very similar to teaching and training. It's a kind of teaching and training. The next step I would say is the consultant umbrella. Okay. Right. And the distinctive there, I believe, is you are an expert who diagnoses a situation and prescribes a solution. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that includes everyone from doctors, therapists, psychiatrists, spiritual counselors, uh, the whole range and spectrum of all of that. Right. And you want somebody to be an expert. (laughs) So they give you the right prescription. (laughs) So you don't go investing time and effort into a solution that's actually making the problem worse, for example. So that's a really important component and really important. But it's fundamentally giving of advice. You're adding, it's additive in that sense. It's it's multiplicative to a degree. It's kind of in the middle, um, but it's still along that spectrum. It's formulaic, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, it's incredibly necessary. Yes. So a coach is non-additive. Okay. He's fundamentally, fundamentally multiplicative in this sense, because he takes what is already present in a person and then asks questions to bring clarity to the path forward, to help them structure an implementation plan and help them actually take action on it. So it takes what's already there and actually makes something happen with it. It's almost lubricative. It greases the gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He opens the gates. Like, 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 the, the cliche phrase unlocks potential. Well, of course, yeah. It's a cliche, but it actually is accurate. <laughs> well, you look at Uh-oh. actual professional leagues like sports and things, the coaches mm-hmm. that work with these players, you know, you, you got crazy batting stances, you know, I think back to yeah. like Julio Franco and Craig Council and a bunch of these guys, if you know any kind of baseball, these guys had really crazy stances where they're arching their back in ridiculous uh-huh. ways that actually even hurt them later on. <laughs> but the fact is they saw success in that early on and got to the professional level doing that. So you don't mm-hmm. even necessarily want to change that. You want to make it the best that it can possibly be. So yeah, that's, you, you that's work the with what's there and help them to like what worked, what didn't, how can you adjust that to move forward and lay out that plan? Absolutely. And so the art of coaching is fundamentally one of asking questions. Right. And asking questions you can't ask of yourself. Like I have a coach. I have, actually, I have technically have multiple coaches. One that I can actually pay for. Uh, because I'm, it would be hypocritical for me to say coaching is so necessary that I don't have one. <laughs> I, I don't see any problem with that. You know, I, I need I, a coach. <laughs> are you familiar with Darren Doan? I don't. I'm not actually. Okay. No. D- Darren Doan, not a coach, but he is a, okay. uh, he is a, filmmaker but he does a lot of other stuff he's a he's a social media maker person okay and he he is very much on the uh you know his his whole you listen to his his don cast it's d-o-a-n-e i hope to have him on at some point but he is a guy who uh his his whole intro is like we don't round table it. We don't pause. We don't t- stop to take a discussion. We just do, we just get it done. And I really <laughs> like that approach. I really like that sort of thing because he's sort of like the anti-coach in that way. He's the one who's yeah. actually telling people go and get stuff done, go and, you know, yeah. work hard and do it to God's glory, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, that, like, that, that, so, I, something I, really I talk about, 
one thing, I, one thing I talk about a lot, and particularly I'm in a not kind of mastermind context, which is a particular variety of facilitation that's in between. It's a variety. It's a, it's a variety of coaching in a sense. You're coaching mm-hmm. a conversation um, between other people, but one of the things I talk about is when you're pulling out action items at the end, right? I'll tell people, it's okay. Thoughts are not complete until they embody themselves in action. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. You can have all these great ideas, all these great insights, all these different things until something happens as a result of them, they're incomplete. They're not real. They're not done. And that doesn't include the production necessarily it includes the publishing <laughs> yeah all the way through like actually right. having something happen yeah right that has a a, a a tangible result right and it may be a bad result but it's it'll at least have some form to it that you can then iteratively improve right yeah but also it's like so you have all these ideas for this conversation which thoughts do you want to finish right Right. And let's take some of these and put in action. What, we, what do we want to finish during this week? What action items you can pull out of that? And that's where the creative part comes in. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm asking questions to help them draw out the clarity of what they need to do, I can ask a question here to draw that out or ask a question here to clarify that. Or what obstacles do you see to this? Let's create a plan to circumvent that. It's like weaving a story plot in a sense, but going forward in a person's actual real life future you know, it's, it's and, a very creative yeah. act yeah and one of the things that 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 brings up to me more than anything and this isn't like you know i i do think that that if you are helping somebody you're worth it so i'm not reducing what you're saying in any way mm-hmm. when i say this but it's really actually being a friend it's yes. really actually Absolutely. being the sounding board for all these sorts of things and helping I don't just process. I don't keep my coaching hat off when I'm not getting paid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. always doing it in every conversation. Exactly. I'm incorporating some element of that because like the best kind of statement is a question. Another, really. another uh, metaphor for that that I would throw on is it's like a, an eGPU that you're throwing onto your graphics card. You're, you're uh, getting the extra processing from an external uh, source bringing it together to get yeah exactly to get yeah. to get the fire lit get the get the frame rate up in your game you know <laughs> which, which rolls forward into, into in a sense into the culture wars and thinking about to technology because the solution to so much of that is community mm-hmm. right one of the truths that i encountered that the more i study it the more i firmly believe this that lasting transformation is designed to be encountered within community Okay. You, you could even say that lasting transformation never happens apart from community, uh, but yeah. there are miracles where the Holy Spirit is not constrained. The Holy sure. Spirit does work through people in isolation, but then that's still community. Exactly. Even if it's not catalyzed uh, yes. in community, it is, it is sustained in community. Absolutely. There's, that's how God chooses to work in his creation is through community. Mm-hmm. And so when we try and do this whole independent, self-reliant to the extreme that we do, particularly in our you know, neo-Western culture, it's actively disintegrating community and the fundamental components of community. So that's one of the things that I study specifically um, for my profession, but also for all of my projects and passions that I'm doing is what really is community? How is it designed to work? And how can we intentionally craft it? Right. Right. And how do we do so in any circumstance, online or offline? Mm -hmm. Right. And it really comes, it ties into a lot of my I want it to not be a hobby someday, but currently hobby <laughs> of right. fiction writing, yes. of world building and crafting these nuanced fantasy worlds where I'm thinking of all the different implications of different pieces and how these nations impl- you know, work with this one and tweaking this one little rule in the physics changes all these different things. Yes. I love that. Yes. There's something, that same mindset, that same way of thinking in the manner of creation translates directly over when dealing with thinking about crafting a culture. Yes. Right. Yes. That's creative. 
that mm-hmm. is sub-creation, yes. right? God invented the first cultures <laughs> and we are sub-creating after him following as his, as his image bearers in that sense. So mm-hmm. there are, I'll avoid going to the whole seminar of this, but in brief, um, there's, I, I believe that there are four levels in a sense. And this actually makes this very tangible what I'm talking about and connecting world building to uh, community and, and culture creation. So there's four levels to it. So the first one is a connection, okay? And that happens within the frame of a conversation where you're conversing with somebody and you create a connection between two where there's an exchange of trust. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Of some sort. There's an element of vulnerability that's shared. An element of humanhood is brought forward in exchange for this you know, sensory, emotional. Uh, there's a, alignment that's brought into play. And it's there's even transactional to a certain extent. It's an emotional it transaction. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, But it's, it's one connection. Yes. Right? So I, we, we had a connection earlier where we exchanged services. That was an exchange of trust, right? Exactly. It was mm-hmm. through a series of conversations and it was amazing. Yes. And then we're having this other conversation now, mm-hmm. right? Where there's an exchange happening here as well. We're creating a connection, another connection. Well, those connections weave together mm-hmm. like threads into the next level, which is a relationship. Yes. Okay. So relationship is woven out of conversations and connections and it takes the form of a story right there's a story thread that's happening here that's weaving together and there's all kinds of tropes and arcs and narrative structures that come into play in a relationship that people have oh yes oh my goodness yes (laughs) (laughs) but that's between two people yes right (laughs) yes you fractal it out Mm-hmm. You start weaving. If you had just one more person, so with those three people, it's a triangle, right? I've got my relationship with him, your relationship with him, and our relationship together. And as those are connecting together, my relationship with him is shaped by the fact that we also share a relationship with you, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that the more complex that web develops, the more nuanced that those those interconnections become yes. and the more power that community which is that next level develops yes. right because there's a shared identity there's a in a very real sense a new soul is born a new being an entity um which in orthodox thought has its own guardian angel it is an actual spiritual reality that is formed there and it has its own life, it has its own nature, it has its own rises and falls, and all these different kinds of things. But what's fascinating is, is that when you go it to this level, it's what I call, the, the story turns into an epic, mm-hmm. okay? And if you look at the actual origins of epic, right? Culturally, anthropologically, an epic is an origin story. Yes. Okay, it's a story of heroes that have shaped a community. Okay, and the goal of a community is to accomplish things for the sake of common values. Okay, there's certain things that a community can do that an individual cannot. Mm -hmm. Most things in this world that are, in fact, I'll, I'll even say this further everything that is worth doing <laughs> can only be done through community it's not you can't do things that are worthwhile on your own and so the community is the catalyst for that right and it does that via a common ground of values they're all focused in the same direction doing a thing together right all these common values but values are meaningless unless embodied in a person a hero a champion of those values that say, we, we don't find loyalty to an abstract set of causes. That's not a thing. Yes. <laughs> That's not how we're designed to operate. We operate relationally with a person who embodies those values. That's why, you know, we have creeds, and, but our faith really isn't in the creed. Correct, yes. Our faith is in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Exactly. And we define that loyalty in the form of a creed. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not in the creed itself. All right. So the next level, because we think we think well, that at first for a long time I thought that was that was the end. Like, huh? Three trillion, you know, three is a good number, right? Right. But then I started realizing that there's another level to this because in, in my own experience, I see this a lot, right? Communities fail. They collapse. They don't have longevity through time, right? The next level is culture. And I define a culture, right, as the system of communication of values from one generation to the next is propagating those values to the into a heritage right mm -hmm. and so it's not just those origin heroes they have to be able to pass on that torch you might even use a reformed presbyterian word like covenant in that yes. situation yes. right yeah yes. this is this is yeah. the cultural yeah. covenant it's one of the mechanisms of that absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. of that, that continuing covenant that continuing community through time that is bigger than any individual or any even the specific generation of heroes, they need to be able to hand pass that torch on, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a culture um, and it's done through myth. So mm -hmm. the epic becomes a myth and a myth in our, in our modern secular mind tends to be associated with something that's fake, right? That's not what <laughs> <Right>. myth means. <laughs> I, know, I know that and pretty much all my <laughs> listeners are gonna know this by probably okay, good. two or three. So yeah, no, you don't so have to go into detail on that. myth is a yeah. participatory story. Mm -hmm. short yeah it's, it's a story that you participate in that you continue on and extend it's like the fanfic universe i'll actually i really like writing fanfic actually it's uh, i think honestly all fiction is fanfic <laughs> of course yes i mean that's new kind under of the sun you know <laughs> let's, let's this is how here. things work <laughs> but it's that kind of you're creating a story that people want to help continue the storytelling of right right so there's three specific components, and this circles back around technology. There are three specific components by which or means by which culture is propagated. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one is through language mm -hmm. or communication. One is through uh, creation, okay. art, which includes music, um, you know, actual painting, art, any kind of creation, though, okay. really, um, that we encounter through our senses. And then through ritual, mm -hmm. okay, or co-acting or a co-action in a sense, we are okay. doing something. And a very precise definition of ritual is a physical action which has spiritual impact. Okay, something happens spiritually because so of so working out action. would be included. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if you're working out with somebody. Yes, there's yes. a bond that's created through that. One of the biggest ones is eating together. Yes. This is one of the most powerful, and this is the actual the fundamental nature of sacrifice yes. in scripture. It's not about the killing, it's about the sharing of a meal. Right. Um, that's specifically what it's about. And that creates community. That's why you don't eat food sacrificed to idols, because then you're becoming one with the demon. Bad idea. Right. <laughs> you don't want to have community with a demon. This right. is why when you excommunicate, you cut off, you don't eat with them. That's because right. then you're communing with them. That's right. what's happening, right? It's not just like it's not, it's not even like shunning or not actually correct communicating. It's like you're not communing in the Eucharist with them. That's what that word actually means. Right. Um, you're still communicating with them because you're trying yes. to draw them back in again, but you're not communing with them. Right. You're not being one with them. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so this, these three components, right, are what embody the values that a culture is propagating. And when those break down, when communication breaks down, when art and creation break down, when ritual breaks down, things when it becomes secularized and so on, it loses that coherence, that cohesiveness, and the culture breaks down, mm -hmm. right? And so technology, from what I, so for example, communication and language is empowered through engagement of the senses, more of the human intrabrainian, whether it's your seeing each other versus just on the phone, just via text or giving each other a hug and a handshake or eating a meal together, engaging all the senses, the smell and the taste, all these senses engaged, sharing emotional vulnerability, all of these things together. Mm -hmm. Those are part of what makes communication work, right? Yep. And that's muted online. It's 
possible to do it. You can talk about it. You can, you can even eat meals together online. It's not quite the same, but it's closer than it would otherwise be. Right. Uh, you can talk about senses. You use storytelling techniques to help people engage with their senses and the things around them to help embody themselves again. They become more connected. Right. Right. So there's ways that you can transcend that barrier a little bit. Of course. Uh, to be able to still make connection um, through an online medium. It's still possible if you know what the fundamental components of connection actually are, and th then you're able yeah. to transcend it. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the things I really wanted to get to. Um, yeah. I, I have a science fiction story that is actually like the, the, the origin of it is twofold. One, the TV show Firefly just a big inspiration love for it, it, and ever, love it in general but then secondarily the verse uh and this is what i was looking down for leviticus 17 11 which says for the life mm -hmm. of the flesh is in the blood and i have yes. given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for yep. it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement yes so this yes. is a this is a fundamental christian value and not all yep. christians hold to it i don't think it's something that you're an immediate heretic if you have a hard time with this heterodox but, but, but life, <laughs> life right the 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 continuation of the connection between the soul and the body which is life Mm -hmm. uh is perpetuated by blood now i'm sure you're aware you probably already made this connection but this is actually reified physically yes because the spirit mm -hmm. the life right right the breath literally in the hebrew and in the right. greek yes. uh, in the nefesh is breathed into us by god correct yes right so yes. it's that breath the spirit of god moves as a wind i guess it's very tied physically to breath which is why incense is like the embodiment right. of prayer right and what Same does the idea. blood do it covers it carries, it carries the oxygen, the oxygen. <laughs> it's, it's literally the life moving through yes this is so, what is the, the physical reality of spirituality is like they're they're right. merged together and inseparable so we we're are totally in, on yeah. the same page here for this okay. totally all right yep so here here was my thought okay uh first of all i don't know if you remember years ago i had the experience of being one of the people who were protesting down in atlanta when the federal court saw uh terry shivo's case years and years and years ago are you familiar with the terry shivo <clears throat> case nope no this sounds familiar is that one of the um was that one of the euthanasia type things taking him yes. off life support when he was vegetable yeah yeah it, I, was a, it was a female but yes she yes she was being read, taken off yeah because his because her husband was trying to get her shut off yes um despite her still being present even though it was like trying to pull legal loopholes and all correct that kind of they, they, they um, i was not familiar i i, I bought the yes. book for my dad but didn't read it myself so i skimmed gotcha. it so i'm generally familiar. so just just yeah, a yeah. little little ba little backup on that the yeah. she had um not a lot of brain activity to the point where technically by our current medical standards today she was a vegetable however right. she was still responding uh right. in, in a very obvious toddler-like sense in her because own way for some reason the material world is not the only part of our existence right right exactly so with all that being said i was actually down years and years ago when this happened with my family with my parents uh protesting that and that had a profound impact on me um being there for that and arguing yeah. these things with other folks and people who were just interested in learning you know very deep things and so you know the thing that my mother kept coming back to is the life is in the blood the life is in the blood mm -hmm. and uh we can say that you know i've met people with just basically a brain stem you know <laughs> who've not who, who who still have interactions with other human yeah. beings and it's not yeah. even the interaction that makes them alive that's the thing we need to realize right. but that's that's a sign mm -hmm. of the life mm -hmm. that is in them so mm -hmm. with all yeah. that being said i thought okay science fiction let's take this <laughs> to its nth degree and i'm mm -hmm. gonna i'm gonna give you a little bit of this story and i just i just want to hear your thoughts on it really and how this yeah. dovetails yeah. into what you talk about with zoom and what you talk about with all these other sorts of things right. okay all right right so we have this guy blaze and his wife they are in a war they are not conscripted they're they're militia you know kind of a thing just fighting for their own people and uh the the woman is uh mortally wounded and okay. in order to save her 
he being a technological person, her as well, takes her back to his workshop and in a blind panic tries to save her heart and her brain because that's basically all that he can save at this point. He keeps, he saves the heart, he loses the brain and he leaves the heart pumping as, as on life support for a while. And then in his grief, builds an android powered by in this world vampiric technology is what they call it where blood actually fuels the system right right? so basically he creates this android tries to make her as realistic as possible everything else this is all illegal in his world because there's a conservative government okay (laughs) and essentially he's trying to make her as realistic as possible to hide her and still have her Mm. around and he is Mm. totally conflicted as to whether she's alive or not if this is really her or not or if this is a recreation of her based on his Mm. memory only etc am i merely like uh in orthodox terms venerating a commemoration of a relic in a sense or is this actually (laughs) right right which is i would argue a relic isn't just just a commemoration but actually the person i'll say my conclusion you know being that i read that and i take it very literally (laughs) is is that i i believe she's really there you know yeah she's augmented by all this technology but she's really there and and this is one of those things that you know you're talking about zoom and i'll let you dovetail into this but i believe i really am talking to you i i don't have a problem with that barrier i have no you're not less real of a person because i'm talking to you via a screen exactly any 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 more than you would be less of a person if i was talking to you through a you know soup can with a string (laughs) right 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 right. um there's a couple directions um i want to comment on that one briefly and some people have this this thing a whole hang up in a sense about technology right right and there's a couple different directions to tackle it from but one way to conceive i think of it in in the philosophical sense setting aside the phenomenology of it in a sense and how we interact with it um but if you look at it from just a we think of digital things as abstract like platonic ideal kind of things and it's information transmitted from one you know database to another it's still the same information so there's a certain amount of that you know mutability and um non-fungibility in that as, as part of that but ultimately everything digital is still somewhere embodied yes. in physical matter yes right it's or at least abstracted away. physical matter right like yes, zeros and yes. ones etched into a yeah it's yes. at least it's at least negative physical matter <laughs> yeah it's there it's there it's in the physical world yes um and so there's it is still a physical interaction um if i interact with you right now you know avoiding some of the politics that slightly uh <laughs> you're still you even if you're wearing a mask yes Right, and it's still talking. There's an you inhibition don't have to avoid that. there. <laughs> right, right. You're, there's still an there's an inhibition there, right. and that's real, right? But you're not less human, correct? Because you're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, you if you try and carry that through, right? That has very dangerous implications. For example, you could even argue that that would be. I mean, if you're going to argue that way, that would probably be one of the better arguments for abortion because you can't actually interact with them directly right therefore are they less human well (laughs) how far do you want to take this argument right Right. so but no we are human inherently as we interact just by sight of god Mm -hmm. right regardless of how we interact with each other and we ascribe meaning and definition to each other by how we interact uh, but that doesn't change that fact. Right. And let me just say too, to anyone who's listening, this is in no way at all advocating for transhumanism. Pandora, my character, is is still has a human heart and blood. She yes. is still human. Well, I'll actually, I'll, I'll actually take that a bit. So I actually label myself as a tr- Christian transhumanist. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. So different people define them the transhumanism very differently though. Right, right. Right. So obviously I'm talking going beyond God's creation. Yes. You know, well, so, so there's, a, there's, there's a component to this here, right? Right. So 
like I mentioned earlier, technology is fundamentally an extension of humanity. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm following. There's not really any distinction. Ultimately, that's what makes us. It's not what makes us human, but it is a human ability that is distinctly granted to us to fulfill that which makes us yes. human. The image of yes, God. I'm right? following you. It's dominion. So, yeah. So in contrast to like you know a eagle is given his own wings with which to fly, mm-hmm. right? And we are given not much by right. way of physical ability to do pretty much anything. Right. What this is the are umbrella given, argument. Are we supposed to be rained on or not? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> are we supposed to be blind if we lose eyesight? Well, no, we put glasses right. on. Right. Right. That's our ability that is given to us in order to fulfill God's command to be sub creators. Correct. Right. Yes. And so clothing is a part of us. And, and in fact, uh, if you look at Orthodox, um, and, and all this is also um, more explicitly, hierarchically um, made explicit in, in Catholic thought too. Um, you have multiple orders of relics, right? Mm-hmm. So the first order relic is an actual piece of a person, right? Okay. A bone or hair or something like that, right? right? Second order relic is something that belonged directly to them, okay. like their clothes. Right. Something that they used. So if you had like a, if it was a saint with a prosthetic arm, that would be a second order relic. Right. right. And see, these <laughs> um, things would make sense even if you don't believe in relics in the sense of like, you know, your, yeah, your, your naturally Christianity. Makes sense. Right. Yes. Yeah. This, it this it all naturally makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and you have third order relics or things that they encou- encountered, had contact with, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, but they're all tied to the person. Mm-hmm. Right. They're still, his presence is still there effectively mm-hmm. i mean you can see that um I, I won't go into the whole relics thing but with, you know you can see in, in scripture with you know uh saint elijah's bones right right, right. Fall, fall in touches bones and are resurrected spontaneously right. Right. he's yes. still there it's still him right right um that's where he's like you know we are alive in our spirits but our body is sleeping that body is still you right it's not not you anymore it's still you and it'll be resurrected bodily at the end right um, yes the, and the, so the tragedy of the of the fall is that it's not all of you right yes, <laughs> exactly exactly there's that yeah. division that is unnatural and should not be exactly right? yep and so you have this idea of it's not just your physical body it's also things that belong to you that served you that you used your clothing is technology right ultimately right. yes it's, it's an extension of you into the world and so taking that right in the same way that it's not wrong to use a car to go faster than you're physically right. able to move or to fly in a plane which is you can jump higher in a- yes. <laughs> than you yes. would yes. otherwise yes. Yes. <laughs> um and in the same way that's one level of augmentation that is natural inherent to the purpose of technology right that serves a god glorifying purpose and some people draw a line with well, in, embedding things, right? You know, right. directly modifying yourself, right? But right. Like we use, you know, devices inside of ourselves to, you know, fix problems. So we use a prosthesis. If you lose right. your arm, yes, you, of course, you have contact lenses. You have heart, 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 heart restarters. Yeah, heart restarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I admit my mind's blanking on the term now. Yeah, I know um, what you're all saying. All different kinds of things. So what's the philosophical difference? Right between embedding technology in yourself to augment your ability or use it externally. What's really right. the difference right. philosophically? Right. And so the idea of transhumanism is ultimately at its heart, though humanists use it a lot, mostly, um, is being ethical in use of technology. Mm-hmm. Basically, you say, if we, only, if, we, if we hide from technology, only unethical people will use it. It's kind of like the gun control argument. If you outlaw guns, only outlaws use guns. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'm following, yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of idea. So we need to, as Christians, who have literally the monopoly on true and right ethics and morals That's in right. the world, mm-hmm. yep. we should be at the forefront of technological innovation. Amen. And embracing that, it and bringing the humanhood into it mm-hmm. instead of surrendering that part of the culture war. war to everybody else and that's right. what i believe is true christian transhumanism exactly yes and that's yeah. that's a completely different idea than yes. the uh you know 
C.S. Lewis. Perspective, right. Yeah, the, 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 the human's perspective is is the idea that evolution is not as stalled, and we're helping we start improving on where we're at, and we right. can do better. That's not it. Right. <laughs> right. We're, we're reversing the curse by his right. by his by his power and his by the holy spirit's yeah. power in us we yes. are not recreating humanity yes exactly that, that's that's the difference yes, and so absolutely. uh i was just gonna point out you know this is exactly what c.s lewis talks about in that hideous strength that's what yes. he's really coming at in this whole thing mm-hmm. when he comes at transhumanism from the 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 like you were saying the the atheistic side of things absolutely so, uh yeah so let's so let's get into you in closing yeah not not in full closing we got about 15 minutes or so but like i really want to know like where you come from i want to know you you know you you talk about your protestant background just a little bit and talk about like what led you to where you are physically spiritually everything else and just take your time with it man like i'll ask questions if i need to but i want want to hear from you i want people to know who you are because you're this great coach you know you do these great things and i've seen i've seen your stuff i've edited some of your stuff and i really do enjoy hearing you as opposed to a lot of the schemers and the scammers you know (laughs) and so i authentically i I authentically want people to be able to grow into the potential and the gifts that the god has given them instead of squandering them and wasting their exactly and so i want to know why that is you how did this come Mm. about because it's Mm. god's story tell it man all right yeah so i grew up i'm oldest of eight and my family has always been i was gonna say reasonably odd but really unique (laughs) (laughs) mine too (laughs) i'm the oldest of five so yeah flock together (laughs) Yeah, yeah totally but we my my father was tremendously intentional about how he raised us and i look up to him tremendously for that Uh, he's one of my heroes because of that Um, both he and my mom came from families that were not wholly dysfunctional but not really functional right in the ways that mattered right and there was enough there for them to be aware and say we don't want to just take what's given us and just use it by default we want to sit back and think what's the best way to do things. And so my dad sat down and said, okay, I'm going to start from scratch effectively and think through how to intentionally craft a culture for my family. And I was the guinea pig. (laughs) (laughs) As always, (laughs) that's how the oldest gets it. Um, And they learned a lot. And, you know, my siblings, have turned out in many ways better than I have. I went to prison. They haven't. So that's a win there. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that I took from them more than almost anything else, other than, other than my faith was that, that spirit and passion for intentionality of thinking things through and asking the questions, particularly why, because I love why it's in my name. <laughs> I, I, I love that, that letter. I love that word. I love that question. And always asking, probing deeper to understand the reasons behind things. And that led me to a lot of things. It got me in trouble. You know, curiosity kills the cat. But frequently, what I, what I believe firmly is that it's, yes, curiosity killed the cat. But what cures the cat is more curiosity. If I had asked questions about the consequences of actions more, mm-hmm. rather than what's possible, if I thought what might not be best possible, right, right. then I would not have got into the same trouble. But it was that curiosity that led me out of it. It was sitting there, I was like, okay, you know, I really freaking messed up here. What did I, where did I go wrong? How can right. I go right? right? And that's what led me back to God. That's what led me to him in that humility and repentance. What is a form of curiosity? It's a, a, a quickening of the hope that there's something better than where I'm at. Right. Right. And so as I entered into that kind of matured curiosity, right, not just the, you know, the kids, why, why, why about everything and, you know, running over every cliff just to see what it's like, there was a, deep, a, a deeper and more mature curiosity of who can I become? How can I make amends to the world in a sense by becoming a better person, right? Because you can't undo your past, but you can create a better future. 
Yeah. And so, you know, through that process and, you know, through prison, um, I, I, I struggled with that because I was like, I have five years. I, I can't not do things for five years. That's just right. intolerable. So what do I do? And so I, I treated it monastically, actually, before I even was aware of monasticism really as a thing, before I even knew orthodoxy existed. I was like, this is an opportunity for me to grow and temper my faith. Right. right? And, it, and it did. Um, and I, I read well over a thousand books Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> while I was down <laughs> and uh, just dove into learning and studying, not just books and things that I was curious about, but about people, about myself, about faith, because in prison, you don't have a choice really about which options you have for denominations. <laughs> and I grew up fundamental independent Baptist and first features I was like, they were not fundamental independent Baptist. Okay. And I just went to what was available. And I started thinking and like, these people obviously are worshiping the same God I am. Right. In a very different way. And they have very different interpretations of things, but they're worshiping the same God. And it kind of tempered some of my exclusionary elitism that I had cultivated in my narcissistic youth. Carefully cultivated intentional narcissism, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Was part of the curiosity that got me into things was how psychopathic can I actually get on purpose? Bad, bad, yeah, bad yeah. question to ask. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but as I started exploring, like finding out, asking questions, I, I knew scripture backwards and forwards, right? My dad mm -hmm. read it through the out loud every year, and I was, I was apologetics. I, I studied and I knew scripture, but I'm like, well, this is a completely new perspective that I had never encountered before, and mm -hmm. testing things against it. I'm like, you know, this is actually a better explanation than what I grew up with. That's interesting. And start, you know, exploring things. I encountered Messianic Judaism mm -hmm. um, during that time. And they have a coherent internal interpretation of scripture that's wildly different yeah. than everything I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. And by looking at them side by side, I was like, these are completely different interpretations. Right. But they each have internal consistency. Right. As far as I could tell. Right. At least, I mean, there was inconsistencies in both, but obviously we're human we can't see the end of all things there are certain things that we're yes never yes. we're not going to know for sure that we're right exactly on, wrong on until but yeah. as far as i'm able to figure out like there's no weighing the balance to figure out which one is closer to truth than the other right and that at first shook my faith mm -hmm. that, like that's an epistemological challenge for sure like, how, how do you have one truth when You've got this kind of situation. So I was wrestling with that. And I, I knew God personally. I, I, I never questioned, like, I'm going to leave the faith. Right? That was never even in my mind. It's like, I know God. I want to find him in the best way, was really what came, what came down to. And uh, I encountered Coptic Orthodoxy, which is not actually Eastern Orthodoxy. It's Oriental Orthodoxy, mm -hmm. right? Which they branched off around 500 AD, about 500 years before Catholics branched off, right? Mm -hmm. um, over um, myophytism with the uh, fifth council, the fifth um, ecumenical council, but they're very they're, they're kissing cousins. They're very 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 close. And right. what's really I'm excited about now actually, personally, I know a lot of them. Um, a lot of them actually come to our parish uh, in the Eritrean Orthodox Church, which is in the same communion. Uh, they are looking at there's progress working towards actually reunifying right those bodies, which is amazing. Yes, because they're tracing it back and realizing a lot of the, this the, the this communication was just that miscommunication. Right. It was more semantics than anything else. Right, right. <laughs> Rich, like, well, oops. <laughs> so working trying to mend that rift in a sense, which is really cool. But I encountered Coptic Orthodoxy, and it was yet again so wildly different than what I had encountered before. And, you know, there was the incense, there was, you know, entering the service barefoot and unleavened bread for communion and more books in the Bible and, you know, all these different things. And I was like wrestling with like, this is so different, right? Yes. But there's something about it that rang of truth. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the, to the good, the true, and the beautiful. Right. If you're familiar with that phrase, yes, that they are the one, it's like a trinity. There are mm -hmm. three different, you know, uh, hypostases of the that true essence of God is yes. this, 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 this trinity, right? 
And so our premises, we can reason from premises, but how do we know a premise is true mm-hmm. and good and beautiful? It's by them being good, true, and beautiful. We, we intuitively in our spirit, in our news, in our, in our mind, the heart of hearts, the eye of our mind, we recognize that. Yeah. Right? And so as, as you know, good Protestant Presbyterian boy, uh, my, <laughs> my Greg Bonson kind of thing sort of showing through, I want to ask, by what yeah. standard is something good, true, and beautiful? Exactly. Exactly. That, that that is the question. Right. Um, how do we recognize it? I, as a Protestant Presbyterian guy, would say, "Yep, it's the Scripture. You read the Scripture, and you trust the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you as best as you possibly can. Keep reading it. Keep learning it. Keep studying it. If it's and, as close to that, it's true. It's good. It's beautiful. And as as an Orthodox, I would say, yes, and. <laughs> right, right exactly at least you say yes right that, yes that's where we agree this, this, is a, this is a this is a core this is, this is a huge part of it so we recognize it because the good the true and the beautiful is fully manifested through christ christ is right. the way the truth and the life yes the good the true and the beautiful right he is the manifestation of god's revealed glory to us mm-hmm. that and there is no way to the father but through him there is nothing that is good true beautiful apart from he's Christ. the hero he's the archetype i'm totally yes. with you exactly and we understand him and we encounter christ in a true way through mm-hmm. the holy spirit because yes. you can see how can the disciples didn't always get it even when they were living with them it wasn't until pentecost that they go oh right, <laughs> right. now we exactly. get it you know yeah. so the holy spirit quickens our ability to perceive the good the true and the beautiful in Christ as he manifests himself in the world. Correct. And one and of the fullest yeah. ways in which he manifests himself and that the apostles preserved that particular manifestation was through scripture. Yes. So, yeah. And, and, so that's, and, that, that and, is one way that we encountered the good to be able directly is through scripture. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and discernment from that scripture interprets yes. everything else. Through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. So Not through our own cogitations mm-hmm. and that's right like that. we get all kinds of that's where you all kinds of boxes. so yeah that's awesome so yeah absolutely um but i, I encounter like i, I recognize this and yeah. i, I see in, in my in my spiritual intuition is as i was like this seems more good more true and more beautiful than what i've lived right and i still struggled with it because they baptize babies <laughs> <laughs> you know that's always I'm, the big one for some reason. i know well I'm like my narrative of history was like we've been slaughtered by the thousands for being anabaptists right i'm not just going to toss this away on a whim i need to really understand this before right. i set this this core doctrine aside this is why i call myself a baptist right. is this one doctrine right. and then oh no we don't do that i'm like <sighs> right weird you know it was it was a real stumbling block for me i could i mar- you know Praying to Mary, praying to saints, icons. Like, oh, okay, I, I get that. that. That makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, that one was, the, they, were, they were very confused by that with me. Like, well, you're not, you're not confused about this. I'm like, no, that's fine. What about this? <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, it took a long struggle, but one thing that really stuck with me, I ended up like rejecting is I know this isn't for me yet, at least. I, I need, I need to do a lot more research to do my due diligence before I, approach something of this magnitude right right because um, you can't take piece and bits and pieces from it that doesn't work because that's the whole point of converting to orthodoxy is saying this is my epistemology now that the way in which i interpret scripture is by means of the church right and the church is this specific community not just whatever i happen to cobble together in my back garden right I have to submit myself to this traditioning of the apostolic interpretation passed down right not just my own idea of what might be the right interpretation. This is how the Holy Spirit has preserved interpretation. That's right. huge to submit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was going against the whole independent part of the fundamental practice, <laughs> right? Like, right. oh, I don't want to submit myself. I don't, I have to like, I'll only submit to them if, if, if I agree with everything they say. You know, that's is, not the same thing. <laughs> and it's really funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the big things in polity and 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 i'll I'll say this and and then we you can comment and we can start wrapping um i wanted to stay on after we actually finish the the this portion of the show too so stick around for that i wanted to give you some parallels in my life to almost exactly what you're talking about awesome um this is where 
Presbyterianism is a funky little dog because you went from the the Baptist side yeah. to the to the Episcopal side of church government right? Uh-huh. This is Episcopalian government in the Orthodox right. church. And so the, the, the funny thing with Presbyterians <laughs> is that they, they actually, unlike the Baptist kind of situation mm-hmm. is they have higher courts, right? But those higher There's actually courts, a structure to it, right? And those higher courts have jurisdiction over what they have until they don't, there is actually an mm-hmm. end point to mm-hmm. these these human courts where there yes. has to be split there is an actual like uh, a jurisdictional split that can take place within mm-hmm. the system itself which is a whole other idea yeah. you know like it's it's an right. actual legal split if you go before the presbytery and or general assembly and you still disagree with them you see what i'm mm-hmm. saying like and, yeah. and, and that's that's one of those really interesting things in and of itself and i love the submission because that's mm-hmm. that's one of the big things that's pressed in a good way in a lot of my circles anyway in, in, mm-hmm. in presbyterianism is like you better be sure about submit be not submitting in this this particular situation there's yeah, yeah. there's there's good and right pressure from the mm-hmm. elders upon the yeah. congregants i think that, that's know. incredibly necessary yeah that is incredibly necessary yeah Otherwise, yeah, a lot of lone wolves running around in every window doctrine results. Right. Yeah. But the one thing that kind of wrapping up my story there in a bit is the yeah. one thing that stuck with me was the Agpeya, which is the Coptic Book of Hours. Mm-hmm. And I prayed through it and it carried me through a lot in prison because there is a depth of humility and repentance through those prayers that was so rich and so powerful that I was like, okay, I may not agree with them but they have the spirit in a very real and practical way. And it carried me through a lot. And then since then, I, you know, studying the history and, you know, tracing back and like, okay, this is, this is what happened. This is interesting. Like tracing back and exploring and because like, you know, this, no, this, I, I do from the list. This is the historic church, right? This is the, this is the apostolic succession, right? This is the people the, the people that are the body of the Christ that I already owe allegiance to. And so entering into that fold is just natural to my right. allegiance to Christ in that sense. Right. And so now you know, moving to Fargo, um, joining a parish here, becoming a catechumen, um, and the richness of divine liturgy and vespers and attending and entering into the regular spiritual life of prayer um, and the fasting and all these different parts of this is just walking into a whole life that is full of spiritual creativity. Yeah, really a, yeah. a culture that has heroes that has a participatory myth that has this community with a story an epic story with these deep meaningful connections uh, to God to each other that has preserved and lasted not just you know for one generation but for you know for 2000 years and right. even prior to that it's a, it's a continuity from adam all the way through really you know uh the people of god and having that continuity and that connection and entering into that just enriches everything in life and that's yeah. really what culture is all about and so that's what i subject everything i do to that right of when, when I, I, I'm not just like, oh, this is a cool marketing gimmick to draw from, you know, ancient desert fathers to help people with Zoom. It's like, no, this is the real transcendent truth that transcends right. time. And technology may seem new, but it really isn't. Nope. <laughs> not even <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we need to embrace it and uh, submit it, baptize it mm-hmm. to Christ. Right. right. And that, yeah. that's my passion. Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak directly to my, to my audience uh, and you really quickly. And then I want to hear where we can find you. Uh, and then, then we'll, then we'll go into the after me and you talking um, basically uh, just everyone listening. My whole thing on this is even if I don't agree directly with certain things that he says, the Vespers, you know, all those other sorts of things that differentiate us. The fact is that there is something missing in 99.9% of churches right now, even in Orthodox churches. And Mm. that thing I find more than anything else is beauty. Uh, The thing that we are 
as a Western culture, neglecting more than truth and goodness is in fact beauty we have you know completely given over our creation of art and myth and culture to you know basically babysitting the kids that's that's what we have now we have hollywood babysitting the kids and my exhortation to everyone listening is to like james is doing and i i know he's doing it because i i keep up with him on social media and i i know a few guys that are doing it and and some people go why do you have a catholic when your first episode you recorded and an orthodox in the next and blah 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 <laughs> don't worry the presbys are coming okay uh, <laughs> some, some of my presby friends are a little higher higher ticket right now for me to get so anyway but uh but the, here's the deal be your family's bard mm. be your family's bard because they, your sincere the sincerity of your faith will be demonstrated by the beauty that you can present before them amen so where can we find you online james yeah yeah ah yes so ofarin.com is my home online uh, so o-p-h-e-r-o-n.com and you can look up catalytic conversations there's actually a book written by somebody by that title that's not me Yet, I probably will write a book called Catholic Conversations just to try and, you know, compete off of that namespace. But uh, my web, my Facebook group and my page and LinkedIn is all Catholic Conversations is my company, um, but you can find me at ofarin.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. We really appreciate you, everyone. Absolutely. Keep fighting the culture war. Keep pushing forward for victory is near. God of song, said the warrior bard, though all the world betray thee one sword, at least thy right shall guard one faithful harp shall praise.